Hello and welcome back to Flash Knockdown, episode nine, the weekly podcast brought to you by Matcher and Boxing. We're back live from Brentwood, Essex this week as we prepare for the monster, Chris Eubank Jr. versus Connor Ben. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, joined as always by my colleague, producer Scott Hamilton, and here's what we have coming up for you all on today's show. Chantel Cameron, she joins us to look ahead to November's undisputed showdown with Jessica McCaskill, Matram Sport President. Our own Barry Hearn looks back on what made the Eubank-Ben rivalry so special. Callis Howland, he's on the show to tell us exactly what it's like to really work with Eddie Hearn. St. George Groves talks to the Destroyer's chances and Cole Froch's hairline as he looks to launch himself to the top of the Dance Partners leaderboard and the Romford Ball, who leads his army of fans to Wembley Arena next month, runs over the best things to happen in boxing last week. Don't go anywhere. We're mixing things up a little bit this week and diving straight in with our Dance Partners Challenge. Former WBA World Super Middleweight Champion George Groves talks his newfound friendship with former foe Cole Froch and breaks down former dance partner Chris Eubank Jr.'s fight with Conor Ben. Stay tuned. Well, it is that time of the week again, Dance Partners. On the face of it, it is quite simple, but let's see if that continues to be the case this week. We speak to a fighter who has had 20 or more fights in their professional career. They then get 30 seconds to name as many of their opponents as they can in that time. As the weeks go on, we'll formulate a leaderboard and the winner will receive a donation to give to a charity of their choice. Now, who could we get on this week was the question. As we count down to Eubank Ben, we wanted a fighter who knows exactly what it's like to share the ring with one half of the main event. And as we had Cole Froch on last week, I guess it was this was only fair... George Groves, welcome to the show. How are you, mate? I'm really good. Thanks for having me on. No, no, pleasure. As, as I mentioned there, we had uh, Cole on last week. I think he only mentioned the number 80,000 about 17 times in five minutes. Do you think he's uh, mellowed on that front as he's got a bit older? Uh, yeah, well, everyone answers it for him, so he's got to get in there before anyone else says it. But that is his catchphrase. And in some ways, have you really achieved a legacy yet if you don't have a catchphrase or two? So, um, that's very true. <laughs> you two are obviously on tour together now. How's that? Uh, how's that all going? I bet. What is it? Yeah, years like what seven, eight years later from the rematch. I bet you couldn't imagine that you boys would be on stage having a laugh and, and talking about what was such an epic rivalry. Now, no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I think he was. He would be sick of the sight of me, and likewise, um, I was sick of the sight of him. Um, if our paths never crossed again, that would be too soon. But um, no, was, you know, we broke the ice a couple of times. Um, just working together on on the TV, and by then, you know, we've both retired. There is no real rivalry as such, or no active rivalry. Um, and then a few people came to us and said they wanted to do a, an event of us together, and then that turned into a, like a tour. <laughs> um, and it's quite good fun, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's cool. Me and Kyle have a lot in common. So uh, both ex fighters, both been through the mill both trying to find our feet and navigating the new world the, the civilian world so um so we're, we're okay and, and we, we get on and uh, it's only when we're doing the tour and it gets to the point where we get onto the subject of howard foster and the first fight that you know i think he tenses up and i tense up and then other than that we're, we're best of friends yeah it was good fun i was down there on friday for the um night, night one of the, the second leg in nottingham the night before our show of course and it was very well humored great stories and you was obviously in the lines then george being in nottingham as well how did you find that yeah no, it was good i mean it was a smart crowd that was a relief usually if there's too many odd balls or scruff bags or whatnot, you know, and everyone's welcome, all, all comers come. But um, there was no real crazy questions, uh, just um, genuine, gen- I think genuine fight fans, you know, and we've all matured a bit, you know, it's nine years on from the first fight. So the fans as well who were there, uh, who might have got to the first fight, definitely got to the second fight. 
um, who were in the room. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, it, was a, it was a great crowd. Very, very nice to me being being the sort of in the lion's den, as you say. And um, yeah, it's up it's up to me to just not be an arsehole at that point. You know, I don't know if we swear on this podcast, but yeah, as long as I'm a nice guy, then uh, and we're all right. And uh, yeah, so good, um, uh, good, good reception for them. We're out again, Leicester next weekend, and then up in Scotland. Yeah, and you've got Newcastle, Northampton, London, yeah. and Bournemouth. So um, if anyone wants to check it out, head over to Mac Maker Promotions Facebook page and all the details on there. Uh, recommend it. It was nice to actually have a night out. Uh, say night out, a night watching it as a fan. It was uh, it was a great watch. George, I suppose when you're uh, when you're doing these sort of types of tours, does it depend on which city you're in? Do you have to mix it up? Do you do sort of the same routine? How do you keep it fresh? It's um, I mean, not to give nothing to the plot away. <laughs> We'll um we'll go through the initial story in the rivalry, you know, um and depend yeah depending on the room, um where you are in the country, you know, uh, different people. They, you know, you can notice the different cultures within just even cities. Um, whether you're up in Liverpool or Manchester, or you might even be further north in Edinburgh or Glasgow, down in London, Bournemouth. We haven't done yet. I've been I've been to shows in Bournemouth. Um, again, slightly different crowd. Um, but pretty much we give it a different take. They do change every show just as, as they naturally would. But the general, there's a general theme that, that runs through. And then it, it kind of evolves because Cole gets, becomes aware of, you know, the, the answers I'm going to give to certain questions. Likewise, me to him. He might be ready to set up a gag and then I'll nick his gag and I get in there before his gag comes <laughs> out or vice versa. So you, we have to keep each other on our toes. It's like it's almost like a boxing match at times in there ourselves. So you know, you got to, I've always been a sharp counter puncher um, and uh, an aggressive counter puncher. And uh, and Carl, sometimes he just clenches his fist and swings. So uh, you're in, if, you, if you can transfer that into a, a dinner talk, then you know that's, that's pretty much what you're there to expect. <laughs> well, he actually told us, uh, George, that he thinks he's losing his hair. So maybe you're to blame for that for stressing him out on the stage. I think. Sitting next to me, I'm sure he's got a real solid headline, uh, hairline, so he'll, he'll, he's doing just fine, you know. I, he's probably brought that up with you now, so he gets brought up and then people look look and compare and then decide that Carl, who's almost 10 years my senior, still has a few more hairs on his head than I do. But um, fair play to him. He's hanging on in there. Great stuff, George. Just before we go into the quiz, obviously big fight, massive fight coming up next weekend. Chris Eubank Jr., obviously a man you know well. He's faces... Connor, Ben, first of all, I guess, what do you think of this fight? And in terms of what's on the line, how do you see this fight unfolding? I think Eubank is a heavy favourite, you know. I think all the things that could be an advantage he has, he's got an awful lot of natural size advantage. Um, Connor Ben's never boxed anywhere close to the, the weight that they're fighting at. Um, and Eubank has competed at a higher level for a, for a longer amount of time so he's got a lot more experience it's high risk for Eubank you know he, he took this fight knowing that it's good for his profile and maybe good for his bank balance but doesn't really help him with rankings or pursuing a world title um, because Connor's in a different division um, and Connor but Connor is we might see it as a gamble but a huge win to pull off um, you know a big win against as a, as a big underdog in a, you know a massive fight it's, it's, I know Dizone have had a couple of pay-per-views so far, but this is the pay-per-view they're trying to launch in the UK market with in terms of a British boxing fight that people are <clears throat> going to pay for. So I think I think Eubank, to be honest, I think he's too big. He's boxed at a higher level. 
for a long time. He's got a lot of experience. And even within those categories, he's got world-class strength. He's got a, you know, he's got a world-class engine. He's got fantastic fitness and stamina. He's got decent punch power. He's got good hand speed. He's got great chin. Like he's, these are all things that if you're an opponent of his, you're thinking, well, how, where do where do I get? How do I get this win? Um, I don't know what what to expect on the night. I know that Connor Ben and his team have been working diligently. They left no stone unturned, and Connor is one of the most improved fighters we've got in Britain right now. And granted. To be fair, it's because he was starting from such a base level, but he has made them improvements because of his desire to improve and to be a champion. So that's admirable. Uh, I know he took himself off the Isle of Wight. You know, he's him, his trainer Tony and uh, Dan Lawrence, who's a friend of mine, strength conditioning coach, been out there as well as the whole sort of stable were out there training. He's had sparring partners flown in, so he definitely has left no stone unturned. Um, He's hungry for this. He believes it. Well, George, it is time for the business end of the podcast now, the Dance Partners quiz. I'm just looking at this leaderboard here. So Maxi Hughes, he actually tops the league with 18. We've got Anthony Crawler, 16. Josh Warren, 18. 18. Yep. 18 in 30 seconds. Yep. You've had 32 professional fights. So you've got a good little good little window of opportunity here to, to make your claim on this leaderboard. You've been in so many big fights, George. You've boxed at Wembley Stadium. You've won world titles. But how's your nerves ahead of this comparing? I'm confident in this. I had a lot of big fights. Um, a lot of a lot of domestic rivalries. And they're easy to remember them domestic names. I'm confident. Okay, here we go. So we're going to start the clock. I'm going to work backwards as well. I'm going to work backwards. Tactics. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Callum Smith, uh, Chris Eubank Jr., Jamie Cox, Fedor Chudinov, Martin Murray, Badu Jack, Dennis Duglin, um, Cole Froch, Cole Froch again. Um, Paul Smith, James DeGale, um, Paul Samuels, Kirill Poshonko, Francisco Sierra, Glenn Johnson, uh, Kenny Anderson. Um, That's time. That's a good score. That was a good effort, George. Really strong effort there. So Scott is <laughs> our uh, our independent judge. <laughs> He's just tallying up. Your scorecard. Are you impressed with that? How do you think you did there? No, I missed loads, man. Um, the scorecards are in. George Graves, you scored 15. Takes ooh, you into joint third joint spot, third. which which is a, uh, a charity payout if you stay on the podium. So, not a bad effort, George. All right, then. Uh, I can't say I'm happy about that, but story of my life. So. <laughs> George, just before uh, we do let you go, I just want to talk a little bit about your podcast, the George Graves Boxing Club. Uh, how long has that something that's been on your radar? And, and for fans who, who want to listen, because I know it's performing very well, got a lot of good reviews, where can they go and find this, George, and, and have a listen? So it's called the George Groves Boxing Club, and it's a podcast. You can get it from everywhere you get your podcast. Um, it's going really well. You know, I mean, lots of people, are, everyone I speak to who has heard it has given me a, a five-star review. So that's always a nice thing, nice thing to get. Not, not, I haven't even had any constructive criticism yet. Um, all I've had is people saying, oh, I can't wait till you get such and such on. But we're, um, it's a boxing based podcast. Um, but it's humorous. I do it with, uh, Declan Taylor, a boxing journalist who everyone knows, um, has seen about in the boxing scene. And we, uh, we get guests on and we go into a deep dive into a boxing related subject. So it can be something as general as sparring. It can be something as specific as, 
a right hand. Um, we'll get fighters who are currently fighting and active, as well as fighters who are previous world champions. Like we've had Darren Barker on. We've had Mike Costello on telling us about the chaos of ringside as a you know as as, as the lead commentator on the Zone and before then BBC Five. I've had Solicitor Neil Sibley on talking about boxing contracts and all the and all the, the little nitty gritty bits that go into a contract and what to look out for and all the shenanigans that have happened past and present and maybe even in the future. We've had Frank Smith on that hasn't been released yet. He's coming out real soon. Um, we've had our first transatlantic episode that's coming out next week, I believe, which is um, Malik Scott talking about sparring in the heavyweight division and also now training with Deontay Wilder. So, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's fun. It's supposed to be a bit of a humorous podcast. Um, we've had, uh, yeah, great, great sort of reviews as such so far. Everyone's enjoying it. And we're going to run it weekly now, just indefinitely. Hope to grow the show. And, um, yeah, hope to you know, bring a little, maybe a little bit of insight in an informal way for, for a casual sports fan to know a little bit more about the beloved sport of boxing. Well, great stuff to all our listeners. Make sure you go and check out the George Groves Boxing Club podcast available on Apple and Spotify, of course. George, thanks for coming on, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. Try no. not to beat yourself up too badly about not finishing top of the league, but it is what it is, mate. Well, for our ringside reflection segment of the show this week, we couldn't think of anyone better than Barry Hearn to recall the anticipation, atmosphere and all-out wars between Nigel Benn and Chris Eubank Sr. The matchroom president joins us now. I mean, it's difficult to describe someone as an animal, right? But Nigel, he had the street. He was the street, the man from the cobbles. Fiery temperament, you know, grown up in a, in, in, in a city that wasn't as diversely attitude-wise as it is today. Lots of problems, race problems, crime. Nigel came off those streets, but he had with him the, men, the mentality of a soldier. You know, he'd spent his time in the armed forces, he'd paid his price, he'd, he'd said yes sir, no sir, he'd obeyed instructions without any negativity. And he brought all of that into the ring. It was quite unique, because we all talk about what a nice left jab, what a nice right cross, what a, you know, Nigel was none of that. Nigel was in your face and he wanted to take your head off. He was very basic, so he instantly became a huge crowd pleaser, you know. And he had this succession of knockouts, and so the legacy lived on. People love fighters that get off the floor and win. You know, you have to remember that all sport is a soap opera. We need characters, and each character has to be different. But what, what makes people get off their settee and go and watch a live sporting event? It's the event, for sure. But it's the characters that play in that event, and that's where the soap opera comes in. So Eubank was out there, love him or hate him. Initially, most people hated him because of his attitude and the fact that he hadn't really delivered at the highest level initially. And also, it was like, who do you think you are? You know, he walked around like an English country gentleman. He upset a lot of people but they all bought a ticket to watch him come and hoping he'd get beat. Over a period of time, they began to appreciate the enigma 
that was Christopher Livingston Eubank, and then they became fans. Looking back on 1990, I remember almost every second of that first fight. From the day of the dream of saying, this is the fight we want, to the final victory. The build-up was probably one of the most intense build-ups we've ever seen in British boxing. Here you had two diametrically opposed individuals. They just didn't like each other. Diametrically opposed. So every time they got in a room, you could feel the electricity in the room. It was almost embarrassing. You were on edge. Me as the promoter, and not a particularly experienced promoter, but I was gambling just about everything on Christopher Livingston Eubank. My business was not good. It was 1990. We come out of a recession in 88. So there was a huge amount of personal pressure, business pressure, and sporting pressure on the line. And it came across at every single meeting where you were on edge that something was gonna go off. Someone was gonna just go over the edge and whack him. You could look at Nigel's face. He never spoke, he snarled. And Eubanks sneered. And between a snarl and a sneer, there's nowhere else to go. The rematch was never the same as the first fight. The first fight was a different class fight. Two great athletes, both at their peak. Nigel was the favourite with the bookmakers. Eubank was his own favourite. And he was my favourite because I, felt, I think styles do make fights. And I think Eubank's style was made to counterpunch an aggressor like Nigel Benn. Wasn't sure you would ever stop Nigel Benn because Eubank wasn't a concussive puncher in the same way as Nigel Benn was. I mean, Nigel Benn hit Eubank with an uppercut, split his tongue down the middle. Everyone, every punch was hurting every fighter. So it was an extraordinary time. The second fight never really lived up to that. It was a good fight, but we're talking about comparing it to a classic all-time great fight. And the second fight, a little more controversy because, as you know, it was a draw. Most people ringside thought that Nigel Benn had done enough. I thought a draw was the right result. But was I biased? Yeah, quite possibly. But was I right? Of course. What goes without saying? The fight was a draw. The sadness was we didn't do number three. That was the sadness. The trilogy fight in a career of doing over a thousand shows and 10,000 fights. The saddest part for me in my box, looking back on my boxing career, I never did the trilogy fight. It was the one that got away until now. Conor Ben, as a person, is quite different to his father. I think he probably takes more after his mother. You know, he's, he's a likeable, warm, engaging young man. But when the bell goes, and when the fist starts to fly, I can close my eyes and all I see is Nigel Benn fighting. When the red mist comes down, when the punches start to fly, the ferocity that's within that young man is so reminiscent of his father, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Connor has so much attitude similar to his dad, so that's quite scary. From a fighting style, he's similar. He's not the same fighting style. Uh, Eubank Jr. is probably a bit more aggressive come forward type. Um, he might disagree with that, 
but I think there is a difference in their fighting styles in the way there's, there's very little difference in the fighting styles of Connor and his dad. Although Nigel's not been part of his fight camp or training regime, it's in his DNA. So there's certain parts of the time when, when everything clicks into place and they both look like their dad. Uh, of course they're both individuals and they're both entirely different people, but from a fighting style, yeah, you can see, you can see the mark of distinction on both of them. I think Eubank was quite a harsh father, a disciplinarian. I think he's had standards. We used to talk about kids and he, ne Eubank never understood how Eddie and I are like best friends as well as dad and, and son. That wasn't his relationship at all. You know, his relationship is I'm your father, you know, I'm in charge, you do what you're told. And I think that ran across all the kids. Uh, of course, as they grow older, they develop their own mannerisms and etc. But that was the basic you know, discipline. It was very much father, son, governor, employee, whatever you want to call it. So Connor and Nigel, of course, gone their separate ways and had developed individual traits that were different. Both of them are their father's sons. This is, this is Eubank Ben 3. Whether they would appreciate it, whether they would admit to it, they're both fighting for their dad. Isn't that weird? I mean, both fathers would say, no, son, you go and do, you know, do your job, do your best. Don't do it for me. But they, inherently, it's a family issue. This is like going back to the Wild West when you've got a clan against a clan and in between is a mountain. And every now and again, clan A wins and next week, clan B wins. And this is the same. This is something that has to be sorted. And there's a lot of pride at stake. And it is something that won't go away. It's something that's going to be talked about for generations. It's on the line. It's one night. This has got to be sorted. Well, fresh back from Nottingham, straight into the fire once again. Obviously getting ready, Scott, for... You bank Ben next week. I said on the podcast last week, can't believe how quickly it has rolled round. But first of all, just on Nottingham, big wins for Maxi Hughes, for Terry Harper as well. Uh, turned into a good night all round, really, for us. Yeah, it was, yeah. Terry, I thought, was brilliant, to be honest, looking back. Boxed at range when she needed to, engage when she needed to. And to see that transition up to 154 open up in front of your eyes and see it unfold like that, I was pleased. And it's interesting to see if she'll stay there. I mean, I know she called out... Uh, Tasha Jonas in a post-fight with yourself. So could we potentially have an undisputed All fight? the marbles. Why not? Let's do it. Should we do the rematch here again? I mean, <laughs> like, just to paint the picture for our listeners, I think I said this in episode one, uh, we're actually in Frank Smith's office today. Don't tell him if he actually, to be fair, it might be too late if he's listening, but we're what, sort of 200 feet away from where the centre of the ring was for Tasha Jonas, Terry Harper won. That was an epic fight. That was one of the picks, I think, for the first fight camp. Yeah, blood, guts and thunder, wasn't it? It was, a, it was a cracker. Make the days count, obviously, as we build up to Eubank, Ben. Just gone out. It was a, a long project. It takes, takes quite a lot of time to get these things finally packaged and out the door, but happy with the end product. And I think the views sort of paint a picture in our minds just how big the engagement is and how big the anticipation is for this fight next weekend. Yeah, for sure. Props to, to the full team. It was a great, great piece of, uh, of content. I think... <laughs> something called content that just gets overlooked by everyone is how long the edit time takes it's all well and good to go down and spend a couple of days with Eubank and a couple of days with Ben but it can't be turned around instantly these things take weeks you know how long ago was it you was down with those guys ages ago exactly and to, to get an edit like how polished it was to, to be released and then to you know go out yeah it takes time so it was definitely worth the wait like you say the views are done great second episode's coming up next Sunday and then also in addition the BBC have got their own little uh, 
documentary on the fight as well, which I believe airs on the Wednesday of fight week. So um, keep an eye out for that in your in your planner. Yeah, I think definitely the edit's the hardest part. Like we're fortunate enough, obviously, to be working for Matchroom that we get great access to these fighters. Obviously, to Connor and Chris was brilliant as well. Great value. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm, the amount of edits and little small adjustments, even as far as you know, we're talking about not even seconds that we're taking off different scenes in myself and Alex Haynes, our colleague. Uh, who we ribbed a few weeks ago for his interview with Bivol. He was obviously a massive part of the content side of things with our Reddit at Tom in a group chat every single day. You know, it's, it's a long process, but I think it's quite rewarding when you, you get the good feedback from the fans. And I think ultimately it's, it's done the job, which is to get people more interested in the fight, which ultimately uh, that's what we're paid to do, I suppose. Exactly. And a big fight like this deserves a big build up. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And we've obviously got some more content dropping with the rest of the card as well over the next uh week or so i'm just actually having a look because every time we seem to come back into frank's office more posters seem to be getting put up i think he's trying to dole the place up a little bit and joshua Usyk won 25th of september two days ago one year ago to the day as a spurs man i've not actually really asked you this before because as a football fan myself just being pitch level i found it so cool yeah i mean the ground state of the art isn't it oh, I mean, it's unreal yeah you might have seen on social media at the minute it's been transformed for the nfl when it flips out and the pitch changes and all the stuff in the concourse as well it doesn't kind of feel like a football stadium at times it certainly is multi-purpose and yeah the fact that was a year ago um just shows you how quickly time flies when you're in this job you know we're almost doing an event in a week so it just it just mate, it just flies i've by. aged five years in that year i think but that was a special night i mean obviously didn't go our way with Anthony Joshua, but yeah, like you say, that Spurs stadium is incredible. And I always remember Alexander Usyk. When you're doing interviews that are translated, I always think it's quite difficult to have any real rapport. And Usyk yeah. after the fight, you know, he'd been cut, and I think he was he wanted to go and chill out. I think didn't he? And I managed to secure what I hoped would be about a five minute viral interview with him after he's just become unified world heavyweight champion. And his team said, look, you've got like four questions to ask him, and three of the questions he answered. I just want to go and see my wife. But I kept trying. But if you if you fancy having a bit of a laugh, go and listen to that post-fight interview because I think actually someone commented, I don't think Matram, uh, I don't think Coogan needs to worry with this bloke asking the questions from Matram. So yeah, it's a bit surreal was, looking. looking that, that wasn't post. my finest interview, that one. Yeah, it's a bit surreal looking at the poster. Like you say, being a Spurs fan, I didn't really answer your question at the time. Sorry. Um, yeah, I didn't really take it in, mate, to be honest. There was, a, there was one moment where we had the press conference and I went for a bit of a walk and the luxury of a triple A pass. So I thought this would probably Show be... Off. This would be my only opportunity to have a wander and get in places where you can't normally on a match day. So I've got a great photo, actually. Props to one of our video guys, Adam Southwell, took a still of me, I think, in the upper tier, looking out at the pitch on the phone. And that was probably my one sort of memory to, to look back on um, because it, it just went so quickly, as I always do. I didn't really take it in, to be honest. And you went for a pee in the home dressing room. Well, you've got, you got to do that. You've got to do that now. <laughs> Well, on November 5th, Chantelle Cameron finally gets her crack at Undisputed when she collides with Jessica McCaskill on what promises to be a very historic night in Abu Dhabi. It's safe to say this one's bubbling up nicely. Il Capo, Chantelle Cameron, joins us next. Well, Chantelle, thanks so much for coming on. So happy for you. You finally got this opportunity. It was a, a fight you both called for for some time now, but now you've signed on the dotted line. How does it feel when, when you look ahead to November 5th and that opportunity to become undisputed world champion? Excited. And uh, it's like the fight, me and McCaskill, I think the, the fight was going to happen at some point in our careers because since I was a 5 0 uh, professional, it was kind of like they were shouting me out, they wanted to fight. And then obviously she actually went on to do better things than me. And then I was going to box her for the 140 WBC belt, but she vacated. So now it's all. 
I'm past the point in Metro. I'm excited just to get the phone with Haskell. I think it's a great fight. And top it off, it's the undisputed, so it isn't bad. And Abu Dhabi, unique location. It's going to be a history-making night, a historic night in Abu Dhabi. How do you feel about heading abroad again? Uh, I'm excited because it said it's, it's for history as well. It's not been done before. It's matching the first show out there. So just that alone is quite special. So I'm excited for that. It's excited to box in the Middle East. Because obviously last year I boxed in Vegas. This year we're going to be boxing in the Middle East. It's memories, ain't it? Like when you end up hanging up your gloves, you're always going to remember them, them kind of nights. Have you been there before, Chantel, Abu Dhabi? No, I've never been. Never been my first time. And Vegas, you just mentioned there. We've obviously just got back uh, from Canelo Triple G. That's a mad old place. <laughs> mad yeah, place. yeah. It was, uh, that's one of the best fight weeks I've had, though. Yeah. What did you enjoy most about it, do you think, being over there? Just the whole vibe. It was a vibe in Vegas. and Obviously, COVID was still a bit of a thing over there, but not as bad. So, like, it was just weird going over there when no one was there in space. Everything was open when back in England. We were like quite deep with COVID. It looked like, of course, you were going to fight Kaylee Reese in, in the final of the Road to Undisputed tournament. When did you get the yeah. nod? You sort of touched on it earlier, but when did you get the nod that it would be Jessica who'd be stepping in and it wouldn't be you fighting Kaylee? So it was after my last fight on the, when I had my title defense. Eddie said uh, Kaylee Reese was going to vacate her belt and it will, it will be me and McCaskill, but I didn't think it was going to be for Undisputed. So I was a bit like, not like, yeah, I was a bit gutted thinking, oh God, like, imagine that fight for Undisputed. All the marble is a big fight and a harder fight than had it been for me, personally, I think. So I was a bit gutted. And when um, I got told it was for Undisputed as well, I just thought, video, you can't make it up. Like, everything does happen for a reason. And I think this fight excites me a lot more. And I said that previously when I didn't know if I was going to fight McCaskill. I said, that's the sort of fight an opponent that puts a fire in my belly. And at your weight, of course, as well, super lightweight, 140 pounds. Jesse's undisputed at 147. You did tell me in a post-fight interview you, you were happy to go up to 147, but did you always feel it, it should be your weight? Are you happy it's at your weight? Yeah, I'm happy that way. I've never boxed at 147, so I would have gone up there for the belt. Personally, it's better that I'm at 140 because I've been at 140 for half my career now, so... It would have been a gamble to put to 147 straight away for under two years, and I've never been at that weight. So I'm glad it's at 140. I was just going to go up just for all the belts, and that, that was the only reason, really. <laughs> Do you feel you are the draw in this fight, Chantel? Would you say you're the A-side? Would you say you're the bigger name out of the two of you? No, I wouldn't say that. I think if I, if I had that mentality, then I'd be being complacent. So no, I've got the underdog mentality where she's the bigger name, she's the A-side. She's boxed better opponents than me. She's undisputed at 147 tonight. I'm the underdog and I've got a big point to prove. Oh, great stuff. It's very, very uh, nice to hear that. Refreshing and, and honest to hear you have that opinion. As a fighter then, yeah. what, what makes her dangerous, Chantel? Why is this the toughest fight of your career so far? She's very tough. Very, very tough. And um, when you watch her fights and stuff, you see like she comes forward. She's a little unorthodox which makes her dangerous because you don't know where she's going from, what she's doing. Like, it's, just, it's, a, it's a different style of fight to what I'm used to. But she's fit, she'll, she'll be coming at me, running at me. But I kind of think it's a little bit similar to McGee. But I think maybe McGee was maybe a little bit better, maybe. But McGee was, uh, again, fit, strong, and probably bigger than McCaskill. So I think quite similar, but I think McCaskill just a little bit better because obviously she's, she's undisputed and kind of, they're kind of similar I think 
Well, that was a hell of a fight, you and you and Mary McGee. Do you believe you have to? Yeah. Do you want to win this fight a, a, a bit cleaner? Do you, do you? I mean, it was it was a bit of a tear oh, up, wasn't it? It's fair to yeah. say. <laughs> I think uh, I got dragged into a fight, and my castle needs me to be dragged into a fight. But like I've shown in my in previous fights, I can box, I can fight, I can box on the back foot, I can come forward. I've got a high work rate, so I want to do what I've got to do it. And I remember Chantel when we did our first sit down interview up in Northampton when you saw me Matram and you talked yeah. about how, you know, two, three years ago you had been searching for jobs online on, on online websites. Yeah, yeah. To be sat here now, you know, in the gym now, preparing for a fight like this for all the marbles must feel pretty special. Honestly, I never thought it was gonna happen. I was actually like thinking, Jesus, this boxing game is not for me because obviously I won the titles are unified and then the undisputed kind of felt like it was a million miles away again and I was kind of like what is the point of boxing if I'm not achieving what I want to achieve but obviously it's great being a world champion but undisputed everyone's dream when you become a world champion so it's a bit like oh, it's just not working out for me in that but every every there's always a silver lining and now I've got the fight that I actually want a few years ago Chantel when we had that interview you talked about your disappointment I've never qualified for the Olympic Games. Do you think if you can become yeah. undisputed world champion, that, that will get rid of that disappointment and, and be the proudest moment of your life? Yeah, I think that's why this fight for me is literally all on the thing because it's great being a world champion. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's great, but I want to be undisputed and start the Olympics. It's okay winning gold medals in international tournaments, but if you're not qualified for the Olympics or meddling at the Olympics, it's kind of like you only half did it. And obviously, for my amateur career, I didn't achieve nothing in my eyes because I didn't do what I wanted to do. So, this fight for me is, if I don't come undisputed, then the world titles didn't really do it for me because I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve, that makes sense. And final prediction then, Chantel. I know you're not necessarily one for giving predictions, but how do you believe you win this fight when your head hits the pillow at night and you're dreaming about this fight, seconds out, round one? How does Chantel Cameron become undisputed world champion? I'm going to put on a great show. I'm going to literally, I think I'm going to shock a lot of people. I'm going to shock her team. And I'm going to win the unanimous point decision. So it's going to be a master. Chantel, cannot wait. One epic fight, part of an epic night of boxing as well. Dimitri Bivol in the main event. Can't wait to get over to Abu Dhabi and um, enjoy your session. Thanks for coming on. And I'm sure we'll, uh, oh, we'll be down to see you very soon in the build-up. Cool. See you later. We move on now to our Everyone But The Fighter segment, the part of the show where we pay focus to just that, Everyone But The Fighter. Let me hand you back over, as always, to producer Scott to tell us who we're speaking with this week. Well, Jamie, we've covered a range of topics throughout the game of boxing. Today, we're going to bring it a little step closer to home with the big one approaching next week, the art of co-promotion with Callis Sowland of Wasserman Boxing. Well, Calla Sowland joins us now. Calla, I believe you were fresh off a flight today, straight onto this podcast. Is that the, the proper promoter dedication you need to make it in a game like this? Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the week starts on Monday and you never know where you end up by Friday. So uh, always always fun and games in boxing and always got to get ready to jump on a plane. So absolutely. Rolled around so quickly, hasn't it? I mean, I, I can't actually believe how quickly it has rolled around. I think that's one thing we often talk about in boxing. When you're always counting down to a date, you do almost wish your life away a little bit, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to disagree on this one because it hasn't rolled down very quickly for me, actually, because 
that sort of period before a fight where you know you go up, do the press, and then you've got events in between. But this is one that I've always been keeping an eye on. I think probably because we had a pretty long, it was very public, um, or let's say publicly talked about that it was such a long process to get it done. I still don't think it was that long for a big fight. They just take their time. But um, this one has such a special, iconic feeling about it that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a bit different to all the others. It really is. It's, you can't, I can't put my finger on it. It's different to doing a unified championship, a heavyweight championship, promoting in very interesting locations around the world, which I've been fortunate enough to do. But this one has something which I think touches uh, a special nerve. Um, and I think that for a lot of people in all different ways. You know, I'm, I remember watching the fight as a 13, 14-year-old uh, on, on, on the couch with the old man. You know, I just remember it was a, a phase where in, in life where I took, I grew up in boxing. I felt very much world champions as babysitters and then sort of got overfed it and, and sort of, yeah, I lost a bit of interest and, and it really made me fall in love with boxing again. So that's my relationship to the original uh, sequels. But I think everyone will have their own take on it, whether you're a, you're a young man or woman and, and, and just caught up with that, that amazing rivalry now or whether you grew up with it or whether you were lucky enough to be in the, in the arena or stadium at the time. Um, you know, or, you know, I mean, for example, my partner Eddie on the show, he, what, what was his relationship to, to, he grew up obviously in the household of the promoter, his father. So everyone around it has a, has a different take on it and different feel to it. But one thing I think everyone would agree, it's, you know, when you hear you bang to Ben in a sentence, it's, it's got a special feel. It's got an iconic feel. I totally agree. I mean, my nan is very late 80s. She's looking forward to this fight. My dad's in his 60s. He's looking forward yeah. to this fight, as am I. I suppose for you, Keller, when, yeah. you, when you were sat around the table and, you know, this, this yeah. started gathering a bit of momentum, did you get goosebumps? Because I think as boxing fans, albeit it was always talked about, we perhaps never thought we'd actually see it, did we? I, well, I didn't think we would. I, I remember looking at the contract the first time and seeing the names, both names on, on the on the on the on the agreement, and thinking, well, this is actually for real now. And you know, we've gone back and forth with my brother uh, Eddie Frank on the matchroom side of things. Um, you know, we'd always sort of met about other stuff, and, and we've always had this one as a a bit of a, a subject somewhere in the conversation on Monday and, and, and then I, I put out on Twitter when Connor thought I was over promoting in Latvia uh, Myers Breeders fight and um, I remember just putting on the internet bearing in mind that Latvia is a couple of hours ahead of the UK or behind whichever way you look at it but let's put it this way mine, mine was after I returned from a, a restaurant and a bar and I was just sitting there thinking, I've got to put this out. And that, the, the, the grief I got of it was, I think I put something out like, in the not too distant future, I wanted it to sound a little bit like a Star Wars thing, like in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. And and people were like, oh, he's off his rocker, you know, what the hell is he talking about? But, you know, you bank Ben, you know, that will never happen and whatever. And then, and I think it, it definitely got people talking because Connor then, when you bank Fort Williams, uh, first week of weekend of Feb, I, I went into the locker room and um, 
and someone in the locker room said, all right, look, Connor Ben's just called you out on, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And, um, and he sort of went into a, into a, into a flow. And, and, but then he stopped and then, he, you know, then we, we, we met and things start to roll a bit. Um, Eddie, Frank, uh, and this, uh, we met and, and said, look, should we, should we really look at it? And, and we did. And, and we, you know, eventually we got there. Connor told us, Keller, that Chris's ego got in the way and that's what the hold-up was. Obviously, he, Chris will have his own opinions on on perhaps that negotiation period. What about Eddie's ego? How was he to deal with? Well, I've, 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 I've mastered Eddie over the years, you know, <laughs> so I, 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 I don't worry about that too much. Um, no, at the end of the day, I've always said it's, 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 we put on some huge fights um, in so many countries over the years. I mean, people probably even forget about like, the Abraham Smith, uh, Ab- you know, uh, Zeuger Fieldings over in Germany, uh, Martin Murray Abraham in Germany. But of course, it, it all kicked off really with um, 213. So coming up to the 10 year anniversary of, of Kester Frotch 2. Yes, Carl, I did say Kester Frotch 2. <laughs> we did win the first one. Um, but uh, that's where it kicked off. And, and, and a lot of those deals over the years were. were People talk about copos and this, that, and the other, but a lot of them have been done on handshakes. If you look at it now, to make a big fight, you show me one really big fight that's been made, and it's just one promoter. It doesn't really exist, you know. You've got different things. This is a, it's a straight 50-50, of course, as long as you've got a lead promoter, a secondary promoter, whatever it is. You've got to sort of step over your shadow on that. And, and I'd, I'd say... From that point of view, it's, it's very easy with, with Eddie. And it was sort of with Frank, who, who is, is key as well, and, and has been key around the, these negotiations and, and the deal that was done. The art of co-promotion in Cala. Can you tell someone, simple like myself, exactly how that works, how the splits work, and how you, you both come together to make sure you get what you need and get what you want as a business from, from each event? Yeah, I mean, look, you, you look at it, look at it okay, I'll just mentioned that there's a lot of different types but let's go with a classic copo which this is and it's 50 50 you look at first of all the dynamics around where we're going to get the money from to put this on you've got to have a partner you can you know trust with trust is a word you use very carefully in boxing but you know what over the years you develop a track record with a partner some work some don't in this dynamic it's, it's always worked it's always been fair you know they they were very very aligned with the, with the matchroom guys and Keller, you've been uh, involved with uh, KSI Misfits Boxing in recent months as well. How is that partnership shaping up? Yeah, it's, it's, it's moving 100 miles an hour. <laughs> We've announced already three shows. We've got a fourth one that's going to be announced very shortly as well for January. Um, you know, to, to launch the series, first of all, working with, with, with KSI is fantastic. And it's a, that's also a type of... No, we, were, we have a joint venture together with, with him and his, uh, his manager, Mams Taylor, and that's worked really fantastically because it's so three such different takes on things and areas we cover. You know, I mean, we talk about you know, social media reach in, in boxing. Yeah, well, it's, it's good, and you know, you can look at the likes of you know the, the views that a, a, an AJ does or a Fury does or a Canelo does, but then then you enter the world of the YouTubers and. The numbers, uh, they, they, they dwarf uh, numbers that broadcast networks uh, would love to have. Just uh, <laughs> just on the main event, Caller, of course, next weekend. Have yourself and Eddie um, 
Have you had a little wager, perhaps a nice bottle of red wine on the main event? Loser buys the bottle. Yeah, I've done, I've done one with Frank. I've still got to do one with Eddie. Um, I can't speak publicly about Frank's one. It's a very private bet. But, um, but Eddie, the Eddie bet, it's that coming fight week. I think we'll make that very public, you know. Uh, but um, there won't be no fake bets. We're going we're gonna to do a proper bet. We'll put that in writing. And I look forward to collecting my winnings at around midnight next Saturday. <laughs> well, just on that then, Keller, how, how do you believe and why do you believe you will be collecting your winnings? Can we can we get a final prediction from you heading into fight week? How do you see this fight unfolding and, and ultimately Chris winning as well? He's a machine, you know, and I think, I think you know, I think Colonel Ben will come out throwing big shots and I think that the ring IQ experience of the big events, the fight week, everything. Um, you know, you've got to start somewhere. So, Conor Ben has jumped in the deep end. You know, I know he's had, he's had some big fights before, but this is on a completely another level. Um, I think that that will work in Chris's advantage. Um, I think the fact that the way he... I just think he will over, overall it. I really do. I think you, uh, we'll, 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 the work rate will be key um, and not just the work rate in the first couple of rounds. Um, you know, that, that I, I just feel that we've got the, the Carter very much stacked on our side and I expect Chris to be victorious. Well, Callum, we can't wait to see what does unfold. Just before we do let you go, this is a, a question we ask all of our guests on this segment of the show. And the first one is, how does a fight play out through Callis Allen's eyes? Are you nervous? Can you enjoy it? Talk us through uh, what's going oh. through your mind when you're sat ringside. You know, there's enough memes of me and my mouth and nervous ticks at <laughs> fights. So, I, I, yeah, which is a, which thing you could go into. Anyone can go have a look at my old man who used to do exactly the same thing. But, yeah, I get very, very nervous. Um, I, I, never, I, I never score a fight with my fighter in it in the main event. I might do it on the undercard. So I'm like, it's useless. I forget it. I rip up the scorecard because... I'll either go totally for my guy or I'll give my guy nothing because I'm thinking Mike got to be really fair here. <laughs> so I know I've just given that up over the years. I used to have a little little book that I used to keep her in, but I just gave up on that. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of, I, I judge it by the feel of the fight and I might say, if you ask me in a post-fight interview, how do you have it? I'll say, well, I had it by a couple of rounds. But you'll never hear me go, Oh, we won it. Seven hundred seventeen hundred thirteen because you know that's what it was. One hundred seventeen hundred fifteen. No, no, and it's impossible to do if you've got a vested interest in it. You know, just no, don't go there. It's, it's complete nonsense unless you've got no emotion for the sport and, and you have to. If you live the sport, which we all do, um, and you are involved in the business twenty four hours a day, including Christmas Day, then yeah. Um, you got to love you know, it. You, you, of course, you got to love it. You know, and in that moment, it's not. Don't think about the money. You know, it's just literally you, you're there, and you, you know, I've had boxers who I would have made more if they lost. That doesn't go through your mind. You, you, you think you just think about the win, and that's all there is to it. You know, that's that's the feeling. You know, and it's and it's it's great fun, but it's nerve wracking at the time. Uh, and and people always talk about these big after parties. <laughs> I mean, they sink into bed about yeah, twelve knackered, hours sleep. Knackered, the adrenaline dump, knackered. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's great. It's great fun. And just finally, then, Keller, for any young aspiring promoters out there, if you're offering 
some of your expert advice, what would you say, more, perhaps more than anything else, you need to, to succeed in this game and, and the world that you operate in? You need to, the first thing you need is to sign your life over to the world of boxing. And when I say that, I mean that. Um, you know, you, your social life, your private life will be affected. You can, you can balance that over the years. The older you get, the better you get at sort of balancing it. But, you know, I've had, I've, I've had, you know, weekends where, where there'd been a family birthday ride somewhere on some faraway location and, and got a call and, you know, and then spent the next 48 hours solving the problem with lawyers and networks and fighters involved and trainers, you know. So you just got to be prepared for everything in our sport. And, and, and by the way, no one, and, and I mean, no one ever will understand what, being prepared for anything in boxing means because anything can happen in our sport. And so, yeah, that's the first thing. And that, if, you can, if you can do that and really do that, mate, you've almost made it already. Well, Callow, we've got your prediction for the big one next week, but it's the big one is this Saturday. Arsenal away. How are we going to get on? I will be there. Um, we're going to get on. Um, I think we could potentially even go behind. We're a bit cocky sort of at the back at the moment which I don't like but I think we'll we'll fight back 3-1 yeah I fancy you know, this as I well mate we'll, yeah. well I'll I see do. I'll, I probably bu- I'll probably bump into you on Saturday so um, look forward to it mate yeah but listen when they're under pressure they're all good once they've beaten sort of mid-table teams and whatever but once they come up with class against them this, this lot will implode yeah well, Callum, thanks so much for coming on. Great to hear your insight. We echo all your thoughts. Cannot wait for this mega fight. It's us, of course, Team Matram, Team Ben against Team Wasserman and, and Team Eubank Jr. Bring it on. May the best man win, eh? Absolutely. May the best man win. Well, to close the show today, we're going to chat through some shouts by you, the fans, in answer to our question, what was the best thing to happen in boxing last week? And delighted to say, joining us today... Rising heavyweight hope, the Romford Ball, Johnny Fisher. Johnny, how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, Jamie. Hope you're well. Hope everyone's good. All good, all good. Uh, Just talk to me, Johnny, about getting back in the ring. Obviously, you had a little bit of a layoff with a hand injury, returned with a a naughty knockout in Sheffield. How how good did that feel and how much pressure do you feel that took off your shoulders? Because I know in, in the gap, you had been thinking a little bit about that inactivity and it must have meant a lot for you to return in that sort of style. Oh, it was brilliant. First of all, it was a great atmosphere up in Sheffield. Um, the whole buzz of the whole fight week and everyone up there supporting also Dalton Smith as well, obviously heading the card. It was, it was just a great, great event. And um, yeah, definitely to get the knockout in the second round against the guy who was, to be honest, in the first round came and gave it a good old go. It was uh, good to get him out there in the second round. And uh, yeah, just put all them doubts in your head about your hand and your injury. My hand felt perfect. So it, it's great moving forward. And Wembley Arena? Where you made your debut? It's funny. I remember when we filmed. Yep. Remember when we filmed Gogglebosh with all the family. Yeah. And uh, we, yeah, we yeah. were laughing because I think Sam Jones didn't he make you veat your chest? <laughs> he said, "John, shave your chest, John. You look great. You look great." And I look back at them photos now and videos of me on my debut, and I look like a fifteen-year-old boy. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a much better look. I'm going to keep the rugged look moving forward. I think that's a lot better. Well, it's mad, mate. How how much you've matured, not just as a a man, but as a fighter as well. I mean, how, how much do you feel you've, you've grown as a bloke, not just visually, um, in, in those what, a couple of years or so? 
Oh, massively. It's been a, a massive learning experience. I think back to when I first turned pro, I think it was August 2020, and I spent the first few months just uh, being around other guys like Huey Fury, Cash Ali. I went on a camp with Mark and Billy Joe Saunders when they was over in Fertaventura. So even that was a great experience for me. And from there, it's just been one thing after the other, a fight after fight, sparring different guys, Tyson Fury, Joe Joyce, of course, Fabio Wardley. That will obviously mature you as a fighter because you're putting yourself into situations and environments that you're not used to. And I think that's the best way you're going to get better, especially me who's not got a vast amateur experience. You've got to just throw yourself in a mix. And that's been my attitude with the boxing the whole way. Just keep enjoying it. Keep throwing yourself in and just see how far you can get. And so far, so good. And when you made your debut at Wembley Arena, of course, that was behind closed doors. Now, I've been talking to Bella in the office, obviously looks after all the tickets, and I've heard you've done two and a half thousand. Is that what you've asked for for this one? Yeah, well, we've asked for We've got about 2,000 up front straight away, and I think we've done pretty much done them. They'll fly out, and hopefully we'll be on for a few more. So hopefully we'll get close to two and a half, three thousand. That's the plan. But it's just great to have that support. Obviously, it's great to have my debut in Wembley Arena. It'll be different now with the crowd in. And um, I've been at Wembley Arena a few times now because when we fought at Ali Pali, was based over there. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing it in the London crowd as well. Uh, the home support will be great, but people will be travelling from all over as well, which is just as good. So your dad has just started a new business venture, hasn't he? Is he, is he running yeah. you down this time for this fight and his new car? Do you want to tell us about his business idea? Yeah, so he's just... Uh, He's just started doing some private hire, so it's going to be called A to Bosch. So if you need an airport <laughs> run or you need to go to uh, a stag do or you want a bloke to, to drop you off anywhere, big John's your man. In these times, as I said, people have had to find new ways to make money, new ways to earn a living. And I think this is, this, he's onto a winner with this. So hopefully he can carry on going and hopefully people won't complain when he stops off to a Chinese or a McDonald's on the way. So he'll <laughs> just, just do a one drop instead of stopping at every uh, petrol garage you see. That's, <laughs> that's all part of the experience, I think, right? Yeah, I think people would love it more. I think you'd get a bigger tip if you've done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Johnny, I'm going to fly over to Scott now, who's going to come back yeah. with us for, uh, with some fan questions and we can run over some, some big talking uh, points from the last week or so. So over to you, Scott. Well, let's dive straight in. There was more than 10 shouts for this, and it's no surprise. Joe Joyce versus Joe Parker was the best thing to happen in boxing last week. What a great fight. Obviously, we were sort great of fight. half following it, Johnny, because we had our own show in Nottingham. Yeah. What was going through your mind when, when you saw that fight unfold? You saw the finish. Obviously, you are out in Vegas with Joe Joyce. Must have been a great feeling for you as a friend. Oh, it was a great feeling. As you said, me and Joe have each other for a good few years now, since I was before I was pro and I was just at university. And he's such a nice bloke, just like the most... If you Even in, your inter- in his interviews, you can see how down-to-earth he is. He hasn't got an arrogant bone in his body. And it just makes you want him to do well. And we've become friends over the last few years and it's just like watching one of your mates going there and fight you want them to do well and it, credit to Joe Parker as well because as you said it made it a cracking fight I watched it back last night and it's different when you watch it back because you see you see a different angle of the fight and Joe Parker was still giving it every second of every round he was coming back with a little flurry here and there and it was a brilliant fight and just so pleased for Joe Joyce, his family and, and the whole team. It certainly seems like a big breakthrough win, doesn't it, for Joe? Into that yeah. elite, elite crop of heavyweights, obviously with Tyson Fury, Usyk, Anthony Joshua. Yeah. Where do you put Joyce now in, in that frame? And, and who do you th- believe can beat him? Can anyone stop him? Do you believe he could beat all of them on his day? On his day, Joe Joyce is just a handful for him. That's what I'll say, the handful for any of them top guys, even Tyson Fury. It will be hard might, hard might's work for anyone because you're going to have to probably go 12 rounds with him if you want to beat him. Deontay Wilder may be the only one who could cause him a bit of trouble, but even then, we don't know that because he's been he's fought Daniel Dubois and he's and he's taken Daniel Dubois' best shots and, and not been phased by them. So 
how much more powerful is Wilder than Dubois? Probably not that much. And I just think he gives everyone a hard night's work. But Usyk and Fury, Joshua, these are all top fighters. So it's always going to be, it can go either way. But believe me, Joshua can, uh, Joyce can mix it with any of them guys. And he's got to be in that top three or four now, definitely. The next shout is from underscore M Cooper 001, who says, Maxi Hughes proving people wrong again. Good guys don't always finish last. I must say, Maxi Hughes is one of the nicest blokes in boxing. 100%. That, that, you, you had the pleasure of meeting Maxi, John? Yeah, I met him in, um, we done the uh, uh, a sports fishing day with, um, with oh, Eddie yeah. and Barry. And, yeah, yeah uh, we had a great day doing that for ITV4. And uh, Maxi Hughes, what a nice bloke he is. I spoke to him a little bit on social media. But as you said, it's so nice to see a bloke who's grafted all his life, tried really hard, and he's just got, he's at that pinnacle now. And he, he, I just want to see him keep winning because the, he keeps winning, the more successful he's going to get. So just great to see a, a normal, good, hardworking bloke do well in the sport of boxing. And that was a good, obviously, domestic win against Kid Galahad. Uh, a lot on the line for both men. Maxi was probably the underdog heading yeah. into that fight. Are they, they the type of fights, John, you want to be involved in one day, those, those all British clashes? Oh, of course you want to be involved in them fights because that's what brings the fans in. That's what people want to watch. But I'm very aware myself, there's a learning process to even get to that stage at the domestic level. And I'm still on that learning that learning curve. But eventually them fights are going to come. And that doesn't mean that I, I take it really, really slow and I don't take any tests because you've got to step up every now and then. But the things that are rushed and things that get pushed through too quickly often go wrong. It's about finding that correct balance of the right test at the right time. And I think so far, I've had a good diet of, of opponents and a, and a good uh, sort of trajectory. And I've got, just got to continue how I'm going and the pitch will unfold. And eventually, hopefully, I'll be good enough to get to that, to them British domestic crashes and beyond. Gary Anderson, presumably the not player. the darts player. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, <laughs> exhibition or not, it's great to see Floyd Mayweather back in the ring. Well, I'm not sure how familiar you are, um, John, with the YouTube community, but Deji, obviously the younger brother of KSI, yeah. I've seen the poster. He's fighting Floyd Mayweather. Um, quite, wow. incredible, quite incredible, really. Uh, what's your thoughts, yeah. uh, John? First of all, on Floyd being a part of these type of fights and also the YouTubers well, getting these type of opportunities. Well, it's, just, it's like this whole new breed of boxing's come out, isn't it? This whole new market of boxing, which makes financial sense for these guys who have got big followings because just say they've got 10 million followers. If 10% of them people go and buy a pay-per-view, that's big money. So it's a good business model. But for me... I quite like Jake Paul. I think I think he's sort of a level above these other YouTube fighters. I think he's established himself as a as a as a proper fighter. I've seen him training really hard, and he's he's actually shown improvements. Quick fantasy matchup for you then, John. The older brother of, of Jake Paul, Logan Paul. He's probably about more your yeah. your size, your build. How many how, how long does that last? Yeah. How many rounds does that go? You versus Logan Paul. Thirty seconds. <laughs> Not even that. Logan Paul is absolutely useless. Ooh. He's got a shot at the WWF or WWE world title shot, I think. So, mm. uh, oh, is yeah, I believe so. <laughs> we'll see how that plays oh, I'll, out. I'll come and I'll, I'll match him up after that. Then two v one, two v one handicap. You and Big John v Logan Paul. Johnny, great <laughs> to catch up, mate. Uh, look forward to seeing you very soon. I'm actually going to see you a bit later on this week. So, look forward yeah. to catching up with you, mate. And we look forward, forward to uh, your ring return as well in October. Cheers, Jamie. Looking forward to it, mate. And cheers, Scott. I'll speak to you both soon. Cheers, mate. Take care. Goodbye.
Well, thanks as always for listening to Flash Knockdown and thanks to our guests, George Groves, Calla Sowerland, Chantel Cameron, Barry Hearn and Johnny Fisher. We'll be back next week with some great guests deep in amongst the madness of Eubank Junior Ben Fight Week. Be sure to stay tuned across all the Matchroom Boxing social channels for all the Fight Week events and behind the scenes content as the clock ticks on this legendary rivalry being well and truly reignited. We'll be answering all your questions at Flash Knockdown at Matchroom.com. That's Flash Knockdown at Matchroom.com. So please do send them in and we'll see you all next week. Thank <laughs> you.